Merry Christmas Eve, Redemption Tempe. Uh, my name is Josh Butler. I'm one of your pastors. And I have a question, especially for the kids in the house tonight, is who is excited for Christmas tomorrow? Yeah. All right. Can we get, yes. Excited. Well, I'm excited too. I'm a big kid at heart. I am really looking forward to tomorrow for a variety of reasons. Uh, this last month, my family and I, we have been, like many do, we've been watching a lot of our favorite Christmas films. And I'm just curious uh, if you could even shout out loud, what are some of your, what is your favorite Christmas movie, favorite Christmas film? I, I hear Elf. Elf. I, I'm hearing Elf a lot. Elf. Yes. Awesome. Go, that's good. Home Alone. The Grinch Stole Christmas. Die Hard. All right. Excellent. Yes. There we go. Woo. We got some great contenders. My kids saw It's a Wonderful Life for the first time this year. It's a good one. Awesome. Well, this is amazing. Well, as we approach the birth of Christ tonight, I do want us to reflect tonight on an important, maybe the perennial question, which someone kind of brought up. Is Die Hard a Christmas movie? <laughs> is Die Hard a Christmas film? Now, seriously, this is important stuff. There are many marriages that have had a conflict and fights over this question. So in the interest of peace on earth tonight, I want to try and settle this once and for all. Now, my wife and I actually say yes. We are both on the same page on this. We both love it. We hope you have enjoyed it this holiday season as well. But there are some who say no, and I will admit that they can make a good case. So uh, let's look at the major objections. First off, Die Hard has enemies, right? Now, Christmas is about peace on earth, giving and receiving, gathering with kith and kin. And so I don't know if terrorists taking over Nakatomi Plaza is exactly the standard Christmas fare, right? But here's the problem, is that if you're going to get rid of enemies or villains in a Christmas movie, you've also got to get rid of Grinch and Scrooge. You've got to get rid of It's a Wonderful Life with Mr. Potter trying to take over the town. You've got to get rid of a Christmas story with Scott Farkas, with his terrorizing all the kids with his yellow eyes, his yellow eyes, right? And I wonder, are those sacrifices that you're willing to make? <laughs> okay, but the naysayers. I can, I can hear them push back. Okay, well, hey, it's not just the enemies, though. It's also the explosions. You've got explosions and violence. And I don't know if Bruce Willis dynamiting a Los Angeles skyscraper is really thematically appropriate to the season. But here's the thing. If you think that explosions don't belong in Christmas movies, then you've also got to get rid of National Lampoons, right? Which has a climactic explosion at the finale, and you've likewise got to get rid of Home Alone 2, where Joe Pesci kind of blows himself up inside a house at the end. And in fact, you can find articles online like the 10 best holiday movies with explosions. <laughs> so if we get rid of all this, we're losing some major Christmas classics. But of course, where we really need to go to address important questions like these is the Bible. This is our authority on such matters. And so I want us to look tonight at Revelation chapter 12, which this may not be the kind of passage you usually typically think of as a Christmas passage, but it is actually giving us a nativity scene. And there is a woman who is giving birth to the Messiah in this passage. Only Revelation 12 reveals that we may actually be asking the wrong question. Because as we dive into Revelation 12, we find that there is actually a bigger enemy in this Christmas story. The enemy of the dragon, a primordial beast who has been terrorizing humanity. And not only that, there is more violence with explosions, a cosmic battle raging in heaven and raging war on the earth. 
but it also shows us this Christmas story has a bigger hero. Jesus, the Messiah, who shows up to defeat the enemy and to rescue us. So the title for this message tonight on Christmas Eve is Defeating the Dragon. We're going to see tonight how Jesus comes, the child born at Christmas, will defeat the dragon and win our victory. So let's jump in in Revelation chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. We read, And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pangs in the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven, behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads seven diadems, those are crowns. Says his tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. All right, we see here, Revelation says that there is someone missing from your nativity set. <laughs> a devouring dragon, right? Revelation's nativity scene here, it's got three characters. There is a woman and a child and a dragon. Now let's start with the, the woman. In verse 1, this woman, uh, this is uh, historically better said to be either Mary or more broadly her representing the people of God as a whole. So this woman who is giving birth, she is clothed with the sun and has the moon beneath her feet, meaning something cosmic is happening here. At the birth of the Messiah at Christmas, there is something that God is doing in the world that is universal, it's cosmic in scope. It's revolutionary. We see that this woman, uh, she likewise has a crown of 12 stars on her head. And those 12 stars, they represent the 12 tribes of Israel or perhaps the 12 apostles, like the people of God. So this woman represents the hope and longing of God's people and the identity of God's people as now the Messiah is coming into the world. And we read in verse 2 that she is pregnant and giving birth and crying out in agony, birth pangs, to bring this child into the world. Now, we'll look more at the child in a minute, but we also see here in verse 3 that there is a great red dragon. Now, this is the enemy. Now, the dragon in the book of Revelation, he represents both Satan and the Roman Empire. Uh, he's a symbol for that. So we see that here. We see that he's got these heads and crowns and horns, which are a symbol for authority and kingdoms and power like the Roman Empire has. And yet this dragon also, in verse 9, a little later, we're told that he is the devil, the deceiver, that serpent of old. And so this is Satan, our arch enemy as well. And so this dragon represents both the, the ruler of the world and the kingdoms over which he rules in our world. Now, there is this conflict that we see in this passage between the dragon and the woman. And this is actually a major biblical motif or a theme. If we go all the way back to the beginning of the biblical story in the Garden of Eden, we see this tension, this conflict between the dragon or the serpent of old and the seed of the woman. Because in Genesis 3, when sin enters the world and there's the curse and the fall and all the gnarly stuff, our world gets broken and God gives this promise to the woman. He says, out of your, one of your children, one of your seed or your children is gonna come, is gonna be the Messiah to deliver and he will crush the serpent's head, but the serpent will bite his heel. It's this foreshadowing of the gospel that the Messiah will come, Christ will come, he'll crush the enemy, he'll crush the dragon, but the dragon will wound him in the process at the cross. And after this, in the, whole, in the rest of the biblical story, there's this tension of going, okay, where's the child who's gonna crush the serpent? Where's the child who's gonna put an end? And, and man, all throughout this story, we see the dragon kind of whispering into the ear. He entices Cain 
to murder his brother Abel. The dragon seduces Pharaoh to drown Abraham's offspring. He empowers Haman to try and commit genocide to take out Israel. The dragon is waiting to devour the seed of the woman throughout the biblical story. And now as Jesus is born, Herod is waiting with all of the weight of the Roman Empire behind him. And he's hearing the whisper of the dragon in his ear. He is on the lookout to kill Jesus, the Christ child. There is an enemy in the Christmas story who's waiting by the manger, ready to attack. Revelation says that there is a dragon in the nativity scene. And I wonder tonight, are you comfortable with a dragon in your nativity scene? Yes, all right, we've got some yeses. Great. Well, those who are, you're not alone. (laughs) There's one woman, Diana Rowland, who also was comfortable with this. She put a dragon in her front lawn at Christmas in kind of a nativity scene setup, and she's an interesting lady. She's a morgue technician and a fantasy writer, and uh, maybe she was apparently trying to kind of match up with Revelation's nativity set here, and yet not all of her neighbors were happy about it. She got a letter from one neighbor, and it was written in all caps, and it said this. It said, your dragon display is only marginally acceptable at Halloween. It is totally inappropriate at Christmas. It makes your neighbors wonder if you are involved in a demonic cult. Please consider removing the dragons. May God bless you and help you to know the true meaning of Christmas. All right, Karen. (laughs) Now... (laughs) Diana, Diana responded, she called her Judgy McJudgy Pants, you know, and she actually said, all right, uh, I, bet, I bet this lady who wrote the letter, she also probably did not think Die Hard was a Christmas movie, right? <laughs> but how did Diana respond? Well, she upped the ante and she got more dragons. <laughs> uh, Bloomberg actually wrote an article about this titled, her neighbor hated her dragon nativity scene, so she got more dragons. Uh, J.K. Rowling of Harry Potter fame, she liked uh, this story on social media, and Diana said, hey, we cannot have too many dragons. And I'll say, all right, now chill out, Diana. We, we don't want to celebrate the dragon, but we do want to acknowledge the dragon. But Diana is on to something. And here's the thing. Here is why you need a dragon in your nativity set, is because there is an enemy in the Christmas story that Jesus came to defeat. Jesus was not born into a Thomas Kincaid painting. He was born into the trenches of a world at war. That yes, as we approach the Christmas morning tomorrow morning, as we approach this night, the arrival of the Christ child, that yes, he came as your savior, but there is an enemy that he needs to save you from. That yes, he came to bring peace on earth, but he does so by entering the heart of the conflict. He enters the heart of your conflict. And I wonder this Christmas where you find yourself facing the dragon, right? Where do you find yourself this Christmas facing the dragon? Perhaps as we look back upon the year that we've come from, maybe you find yourself overwhelmed at the state of the world as a whole and just feeling like the weight of despair. We see like the Ukraine and the economy and uh, man, just the social hostility, a society that seems to be tearing itself apart. You kind of go, man, is there hope in the world? You find yourself facing the devourer, the dragon. Maybe for others this year, you've been facing him as the deceiver, whispering the lies, whereas you've been maybe battling anxiety and depression and lies rooted deep in your story as he wants to say, you're, you're too far gone. The Savior would never come for you. 
No, he is the accuser. Maybe you've been experiencing the accuser in your life. Maybe this Christmas is the first Christmas where you find yourself with an empty chair at the table of someone who's no longer with you. And it feels like the weight of the dragon is winning in this world. The reason that we need the dragon in the nativity set is so that you can name the reality of the world that Jesus came to save. That you can find and identify the parts of your story where there is the longing and the heartbreak that, that we, don't, we, don't, we don't ignore the darkness at Christmas, rather we let it drive us to the manger and to the light of the world who comes for our salvation. Now, I'll be honest, I don't really care if you like Die Hard or not as a Christmas movie, right? But what I do want you to realize tonight is that you have an enemy and you've got a bigger hero who came to save you from it, right? That Jesus comes tonight as a hero that when you were in a world that was blowing up, held like terrorized, like you were held hostage in a world that just feels like it's blowing up and falling apart, Jesus came as a bigger hero to your rescue to defeat the enemy and accomplish your victory for you. This raises the question, who is this hero? Who is this child who was born at Christmas? Well, let's keep going. In verse five, we read of him. It says that she, the woman, she gave birth to a male child, one is to, who is to rule all the nations with the rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. What we find here is... <clears throat> that this child born on Christmas is a dragon slayer. This child who is born on Christmas is a dragon slayer. He is a hero we need who's come to defeat the dragon. Read here that the woman gives birth to a male child. This is the son of David. He is the seed of Abraham, the promised Messiah, Christ our Lord. On this silent night in the little town of Bethlehem, Jesus is born, and he may be away in a major. He may seem quiet, meek, and mild, but he is the hero that we've been waiting for. He has a destiny upon him. We read here in verse 5 that this child will grow up to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. And here this is referencing Psalm 2 in the Old Testament. And the context is in the psalm, the nations are raging. The, war, the world seems to be blowing up with chaos and enemies are conspiring against God and blowing up his world, terrorizing humanity. But God laughs, saying, laughs at them, the enemy, saying, hey, I am installing my son, my king on Zion, my holy hill, and he will bring that rod of iron to establish peace and bring his justice to the nation." will quell the violent rebellion. This iron scepter means that he is strong enough to put evil in its place. And it says here that he uh, is, was caught up to God and to his throne, that this child who was born at Christmas, his destiny is to rule over all of heaven and earth, to actually represent God's rule from the throne of God into the world. He will deliver the nations from the power of the enemy. He will rescue our war-torn world from the dragon. This child who is born at Christmas is destined to defeat the dragon and to rule the nation. The child is a hero, maybe not the hero you expected, but the hero that we need. Yes, he shows up in humility and he shows up in obscurity because this is how the kingdom of God breaks in, but the destiny of this king and his kingdom 
is to reconcile and restore creation and to put evil in its place for good. This raises the question, how will he do this? How will the child crush the snake and defeat the dragon? Ironically, ultimately, he will defeat the devourer by being devoured. We have to zoom out into the broader context of Revelation where we find that Jesus' identity, his primary identity is that of the lamb who was slain. That Jesus, the lamb, will be slain by the dragon. That Jesus comes into this world knowing full well that his destiny is to give his life for us. That he will grow up with Mary and Joseph and he will live the life that you and I were meant to live but that we haven't lived, a life without sin. And he will live that perfect humanity and then he will go to the cross to die the death that was yours and ours to die. That he will be devoured by the power of the dragon. He will go into the grave, into the belly of the beast, in that sense. And yet he will do so to burst out of the other side in resurrection victory. This is the child who was born to die and to rise and to reign forevermore from the throne of God above. So Jesus won't be devoured here at Christmas, but he will at the cross. And he comes as our hero, knowing that it's coming. This reminds me of another movie, uh, Men in Black, that we may not think of as a Christmas movie as well, but it is, I want to suggest, right? That Men in Black, if you remember, that there's this iconic scene at the end where there's an alien invasion and there's this like dragon-like alien. It's like he's devouring the earth. I remember the scene when I was a kid of just, man, this like dragon-like alien. He's leaving havoc and mayhem everywhere he goes. He's devouring, he's leaving destruction, and he's even devoured the only weapons that could destroy him. But then Agent K or Tommy Lee Jones, this kind of iconic, the climactic scene in the movie, he runs out, he's kind of waving his hands. He says, no, eat me, eat me. Like he's distracting attention from all the other folks that the dragon wants to eat. He goes, eat me. And so the dragon like devours him. And Agent K, he goes into the belly of the beast. And yet unbeknownst to the dragon, the, this invader, that when he's inside there, he has access to the weapon that can destroy. And he ends up splat, right, right? blowing up the dragon from the inside out. And that's ultimately the way that Jesus has come to defeat the dragon. As he knows, he comes born at Christmas knowing that he's headed to the cross to be devoured and yet to burst out the other side, to slay the dragon by being devoured and by defeating him from the inside out. It's like that promise of the gospel all the way at the beginning that, yeah, that serpent, it's gonna bite his, his foot, but Jesus is the the snake crusher who's going to crush the serpent's head. What this means is that while the dragon comes to the nativity scene to devour the child, you and I, we come to worship the child. Like we come tonight on Christmas Eve, we come and we gather to worship the child who has come for us and our salvation that he has come to rescue us. We come to worship him because the reality is you and I needed a hero. That you and I, we couldn't save ourselves. We couldn't, maybe you've been trying to battle the, the sin in your own life, the temptations in your life, the things that you have faced. Maybe you're looking at the world and going, how can I just do enough to try and fix it? And it can seem so overwhelming when you realize that we don't have the power on our own to defeat the dragon. We don't have the strength, the power on our own to win the victory that when I've tried in my own life, I find if you've seen Guardians of the Galaxy 2, I'm, I'm like Drax when he jumps into the dragon, into the beast, and he's trying to like to beat up from the inside out, and it's not doing anything. He's just, ah, he can't, he can't do it. You and I, we can't defeat the beast on our own. 
But Jesus came to defeat on our behalf and to win the victory for you and for me. And so I wanna invite you tonight that as we come to this Eve of Christmas where we celebrate the arrival of the child, that we celebrate the child who came to be your rescuer, to win the victory on your behalf, that the invitation tonight as we come to worship, as we come to welcome the dragon slayer, the one who has come to defeat the enemy, that you may have a bigger enemy than you imagine, but we also have a bigger hero. And so tonight as we come, we come to worship and celebrate our greater hero who came in humility, who came in obscurity, who came in weakness, the vulnerability of a child born in a manger. And yet, Revelation says, man, he came as a child in order to establish the kingdom of God and to win an eternal victory for us forever. So would you join me in prayer? Jesus, we come tonight uh, to celebrate your arrival as the dragon slayer, the snake crusher, the hero that we in our world need, God. Jesus, we thank you that when we were held hostage and captive in a world torn apart by the destructive power of our sin, that you did not stay off in the distance, but you came running for our rescue. God, that you came not just to conquer with force, but man, to be born vulnerably into a manger in Bethlehem. To enter the king of all creation, enter into obscurity that the kingdom representing your character might take root in the world and save and redeem us as your people. And so, Jesus, we worship you as your people. We come tonight to celebrate your arrival, to give you all glory and honor and praise. What child is this in the manger? Jesus, we come before you and this is the child that we needed. We didn't even know, maybe not the child we expected, but you are the one that we needed, Jesus, the hero who's come for our salvation. We worship you and we give you all glory and honor and praise. Christ, our King of Kings. Amen. Let's stand and let's respond in worship to Jesus.